Welcome to the Australasian Law Management Journal and our Q&A podcast series. Through these podcast interviews, we are telling the stories and exploring the leadership and business strategies of some of the leading minds in the Australian legal sector. Hi, I'm Cameron Cooper, editor of the Australasian Law Management Journal. Today in our Q&A series, we're speaking to Anthony Becker, the founder and managing director of BizTech Lawyers, an international technology and business law firm that lives and breathes high-growth tech startups. With a background in tech M&A and known for his innovative approach to business, Anthony's at the front line of leadership trends in the law. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Anthony, welcome to ALMJ's Q&A. We'll launch into some questions now and talk about your firm in a moment. But just as a starting point, I was really interested in in terms of your engagement with law on a day-to-day basis. What drives you and what what do you love about your work? Yeah, so we've got a really interesting firm in terms of the sort of clients that we deal with and the sort of firm that we've set out to create. The... uh, so we're a sort of, I guess, a boutique international firm for tech companies. I started the firm about five years ago, and we, at, th- at that point, you know, sort of saw the gap in the market for a tech-focused law firm and also law firms that don't sort of say goodbye to their clients at the border. And over the ensuing period, have you know, we've grown into the US and the UK and really trying to follow the course that our clients do in terms of Australian and other and international startups, but startups growing cross-border. And that's changed not just from startups, but also into scale-ups and, and truly global tech companies. And so I guess the thing that engages me in work each day is helping our clients navigate that path, which is interesting in its complexity and its challenges. And, you know, it throws up all sorts of uh, problems that you can't expect and, you know, keep every day interesting and different. You say you've been operating for five years and obviously two or three of those years was during COVID. Did that present any particular problems and how have you come out of that uh, difficult period? It was interesting for the, I mean, for the tech sector, COVID was something of an opportunity. I guess it was coincident with very low interest rates and a very ample funding. There were lots of venture capitalists pumping a lot of money into the industry. Probably now, you know, is the tech sector's COVID, probably higher interest rates are what COVID was to coffee shops in terms of tighter funding conditions and just the number of deals that are getting done. That said, you know, there are still deals that are getting done and we're seeing some of our clients who uh, might be facing a down round or have to sort of rationalize their business in a lot of ways, make difficult decisions about who to keep and who not to, you know, it forces a real rigor in terms of being profitable. And I mean, they look to their lawyers in some parts to help them with that. They also look to their their lawyers in order to be very cost conscious. And we sit in an interesting place where we're doing cross-border work, but we're not doing it at truly top tier rates. We're quite competitive. And so, you know, we think we're well placed to to see that transition through. And I think three to six to nine months, the situation will be a lot rosier in terms of tech funding. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it a matter of sitting it out and waiting for markets to turn around or are there any specific things you can do as a firm, as a leader to help out during this period? 
So, you know, we're very relationship driven. I think it's making sure that, you know, we're doing regular check-ins with all of our clients and helping them, I guess, with their day-to-day challenges. I guess we're very hands-on and and relationship driven in that sense. So even after that COVID period where a lot of people were accustomed to dealing with their clients online, you found that that face-to-face, that relationship issue was really the key to your success by the sound of it. Yeah, I don't think the, there's still people in, you know, I'm physically located in Sydney and I was talking to a client on Friday and I, I assumed that they're in Melbourne for some reason. They're just down the street, but we still only ever met online. It makes things more fluid and rapid, but the, I guess it's, you know, reaching out and making sure that they know that we're around and can help with whatever issue they're going through at the time. Anthony, tell me more about the firm. We understand you're very strong in that tech M&A space. You can cover everything in that space pretty much. But you tell me about your strengths as you see them as a firm. Sure. I guess we're, you know, the unique aspect to our firm is that we're global in our thinking and in our aspiration. So I'm the one of the MDs. I'm the MD of the APAC region. My partner, Chris Spillman, is the MD of the Americas region. And we launched in the UK at the end of last year. That's there's I guess having originally started the firm, there's a pretty clear roadmap for Australian startups and scale ups to follow in terms of you know going into the US and and then the UK. But we also have a number of other markets on our roadmap in terms of the markets in which startups and scale ups cluster. That's around you know places like Singapore, Ireland, Hong Kong, and Israel. So we're looking at when the right time presents itself to further progress into those markets. And the other aspect of it is that, you know, law is an, is a, it's also a network business in a lot of ways. You know, in the same way that tech companies talk about having network effects, law firms have network effects, but the effects are, you know, in terms of personal relationships and, and being able to solve the problem that client is presented with at the time. The firm that we merged with in the US was actually a firm that I'd hired as a client. So my partner, Chris, I was in-house at a tech company. My boss said to me, oh, we need to do a reverse triangular merger between a Delaware company and a Singapore company. And I said, sure. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But Chris was the guy that I actually hired to do that transaction. And we'd worked together over a number of years since then both as he was, you know, I was his client, but then also working on deals together. And we just saw that there was a real gap in the market for for pulling together teams, you know, that can solve a really complex problem cross-border. And, you know, as we've been, I think we've merged two years ago now. And so, you know, that's been a real catalyst for a lot more interesting work, to be honest. So, you know, the sort of work that gets unlocked by having a, a multi-jurisdictional practice is quite phenomenal. We're working on a DSPAC transaction, which is a reverse listing on the NASDAQ at the moment. We've worked on multiple sort of cross-border deals in venture debt with a lender in one country and borrowers in other countries and then, you know, subsidiaries in others. And I think given that startups and scale-ups have a sort of global from day one aspiration. They really need a law firm that itself is global from day one in its outlook. And we can pull together, if we don't have the direct expertise 
for a particular deal, you know, we can bring it in as required or there's a, you know, a unique aspect. So in that way, going back to the law as a network business, I think, you know, the network effects in law is that you can confidently say that you can handle a really broad range of issues for our clients and have a core team that can absolutely do that. And you pull in different resources as required. Anthony, as you're speaking, it, it strikes me that you clearly you have a strength in the legal work that you do, but you've got an entrepreneurial streak. And I know that you've uh, led operations uh, at e-commerce firm Rocket in the past. I hope I've got that pronunciation right. What lessons do you take from that experience and, you know, bringing that sort of entrepreneurial sort of bent to your current operations? Yeah, I started at Rocked in 2013. And immediately before that, I'd, I'd done an MBA and actually got out of law altogether. I was a management consultant for a, a number of years. And the Rocked role was really a combination between you know, management consulting and law. So it was a nice, neat fit between those two things on the, on the legal and the operations side. But actually sitting inside a firm that is growing so rapidly, seeing firsthand the sort of experiences the founders are going through, the challenges that you face scaling a company like that. And it's not rocket science to solve for those things. It just takes, you know, a lot of um, consideration and careful planning. And so we, as BizTech, you know, we draw on, on that experience in terms of being able to guide our clients through those experiences. So back to the original question that you had about what sort of keeps it interesting. It's really interesting to deal with founders who have big aspirations and entrepreneurs who are really doing interesting things and solving big problems. So I guess the rocked experience was very much a firsthand sort of firsthand experience of that for me. It was very inspiring, both in terms of helping other entrepreneurs, but also helping inspire me to follow an entrepreneurial path in setting up a new firm and doing it in the way that we have and sort of addressing an under, a very underserved market. Well, it sounds like I got that pronunciation wrong on rock, so my apologies for that. <laughs> but you're Is obviously it? doing good things. We... As LMJ, we go out to a lot of law firm leaders and managing partners, and I always ask them about their management style or their leadership style. I'm just interested to hear from you how you approach that. Yeah, pretty hands-on. I think it's a really good question and probably better asked by others, but I'm very hands-on in terms of the work that we do and making sure that the quality is really high. That you know goes without saying, and it's, it's a table stakes in terms of what our clients expect. And I'm a big one for, you know, trying to capture knowledge and disseminate it in the firm in a written way so that people who join in the firm who are fresh, and I think it's especially helpful when, you know, you're growing quite rapidly that people know, okay, this is how we do matter filing. And this is, these are the, you know, expectations as to what we do. And this is how we enter timesheets. And so, you know, all of that is quite highly systematized and written down and, it saves a lot of time in terms of what well, it makes people feel empowered when they join the firm because they know what to do and that they don't feel like they need to ask silly questions and it helps make things consistent and, and sets expectations about the way that we do things. I think the other aspect of my leadership style is that there aren't any, aren't any silly questions. And 
the more that people can challenge the thinking in terms of what we're doing and the sorts of approaches that we're taking to different problems is absolutely to be celebrated and the definitely learn new things from other people in our team all the time on learning. I think, you know, embracing learning as a, as a way of almost doing business where getting up to speed with our clients' businesses very rapidly. It takes, you know, sometimes we have absolutely no idea the sorts of things that they're doing or it's, you know, it's very experimental or it's a new industry with limited regulation and we need to get up to speed. So embracing that opportunity to learn about something completely different and, you know, celebrating that because it's a very unique opportunity. And Anthony, on that uh, side of um, law firms often talk about, you know, their culture is particularly good or they're after a particular type of people who fit into their team culture. Do you have any feelings like that, the sort of people that you want to surround yourself with, for example? Yeah, so, I mean, business is is obviously extremely personal and I think it only goes so far as the people. So we and that client trust clients that have that trust in us and trust in a specific lawyer that they need to have that trust across the whole team. We look for people who with high emotional intelligence, we look for people who are pragmatic problem solvers. You know, we look for people who are obviously trustworthy and it's not necessarily that they need to have a specific sector expertise, but they need to have a, an ability to do complex problem solving with limited information and thrive in that sort of environment of uncertainty. A lot of people talk about culture being important, but the other buzzword is innovation. And I understand that you're up for an award or you're certainly a finalist in the Australasian Law Management Awards in that Innovator of the Year category. That prompts the question, what innovation, what does it mean to you and what does it look like in, in your firm? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's sort of business model innovation. We're actually, we're not a subscription-based law firm and we're not a, you know, we offer fixed fees, but we offer basically all types of fees to our clients depending on what they want. We're not sort of agnostic on on how people want to pay us. We're more interested in, I think, so the business model innovation is an innovation, but it's actually been around for a while. I think our innovation is to address the clients where they are, which is facing a cross-border problem and grappling with their own internationalization. So that's what our clients are solving for in, in terms of our innovation or our lens on it. It's, it's how do we help them do that? So it can be complex to solve for. So you've got very large firms who also solve for those things. But frequently in those firms, the Australian team is somewhat disconnected from the, the foreign team and they may not have dealt with each other much. And they've also got, you know, structurally, they've got separate profit pools and, you know, the local firm is sort of effectively, you know, a sister firm to the firm overseas. So there's very little incentive to refer work cross border to, to do that. We have a global profit pool at BizTech. We've got every incentive to refer work across border where it arises and bring in people in other teams to help with those problems, with those client problems. And so I guess setting ourselves up in that way slightly, you know, differently than a, you know, a partnership, a Varine, you know, a group of partnerships st- structures 
something of an innovation, but we're not the first firm to do it. So, but it does differentiate us in terms of how we think about solving problems and not having any impediments to dealing with things in a, in a truly global fashion. Well, good luck in that awards uh, process. I hope you get along and get over the line. I'm not sure if you've heard yet, but uh, it's an honour to be in that list, no doubt. Um, Thank you. Interested, Anthony, given your expertise in that tech sector, clearly there's a lot of headlines or at the moment around technology innovations and generative AI and chat GPT and what that's going to mean for law firms, businesses, whether it's going to threaten jobs or whether it could actually be something that really helps law firms. Do you have a a view on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an absolutely game-changing technology, I think, in a lot of ways. If you think about how good ChatGPT, you put pretty difficult questions into ChatGPT and it gives you like a very, very good answer. And you think, okay, it knows that much about what I'm expert at or what I know about. And it does that very, very well. And then you think about if it can do that for me and it can do that for every single other person who's an expert at something, how powerful that technology is, that becomes mind-blowing. So absolutely, it's going to change things. The marginal jobs will, I think, drop off where you needed someone. So even things like you know, day-to-day communications. I've talked with clients who are writing performance reviews through ChatGPT or at least doing a first draft. Things that previously took a lot of time just to come up with are very accessible. Obviously, there's, you know, with any any sort of thing that gives you a first draft of something, it needs to be carefully thought through and not assume that it's right and not assume that... I think there was an example where a prosecutor or, or a lawyer in the US was using cases made up by ChatGPT. Yeah. Obviously, there's guardrails that need to be put in place and you need to have good sources for your information and it needs to be, you can't use it recklessly, but it's such a powerful tool. The sort of marginal cost of words and content moves to zero. So like the the necessity and at least... I guess at a certain level, not at, you know, an expert level, there's, but at a basic level, the marginal cost of words is zero. So it will displace a lot of people whose, I guess, value add is, is not great. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Uh, fascinates and potentially frightens me as a writer that a blog that I might have taken two to three hours to write before you know, chat GPT can do it in about 25, 26 seconds. And as you say, not always perfect, but the technology will no doubt improve. It'll be fascinating to see see where it goes from here. Yeah. I'm interested also in terms of in the legal space within your firm, the use of technology and whether any particular tools have been useful for your firm and have brought real productivity to the firm. We do a quite a, a range of different work. So, you know, we use some databases in order to sort of get access to a range of precedents and things like that. We're also a new firm. So practical law has been pretty good in that. We use some document automation technology. There's both, there's one in Australia called Smarter Drafter and another one that the same group has built called Rulestar. They, that allows you to set up your documents in order that, you know, your templates in order that they're faster to produce does require where 20 years ago you had 
you know, your precedent person. And it's really just a, a second stage on making precedents more actionable in terms of checking boxes and, and making adjustments to them. So that's useful to a point in terms of the, the sort of our business. We've had to grapple with international, you know, being multi company and multi currency. So we, we've implemented an ERP to, to deal with that and gone through what I would describe as that pain in order to, you know, be in a position where we can deal with that in a consistent way and, and be a truly global firm because a lot of the practice management systems are just single country. And then, you know, we're, we're looking at different AI tools, both in review and drafting. We're trialing a couple. We've tried a couple and then decided not to proceed with those. And so I guess we're in an experimentation phase at the moment with what we're going to do with those sorts of tools. Yeah, I guess we talked about chat GPT potentially taking jobs before, but it's really exciting. This new technology really allows smaller firms, you know, smaller startup firms to compete against the, the bigger firms. Is that how you see it? I don't think in and of itself it will. I think the given the nature of the problems, the people who are our clients and clients of law firms generally still buy based on relationships mm-hmm. and they buy based on trust and who they can trust to solve their problems. I think the tools that the lawyers use to solve those problems is probably a secondary or tertiary consideration. They expect competitive pricing and they expect that things are done in an efficient way. You know, our clients tell us that they don't want lawyers that ream off catalogs of risks for the things that they're doing. Obviously, risk identification is important, but doing that is not value additive. That would be the perfect thing to deploy ChatGPT on, like writing out all of the risks that something presents, but it's actually not what they're interested in. What they're interested in is the solution to their the problem that they have at hand. So I actually think it probably just becomes a tool and probably the firms that use the technology well will it will bifurcate the market in terms of the firms that can use it well and deploy it well will have a competitive advantage, not only because of the technology, but because they're using the technology in, in a useful way. Anthony, it seems like things are going very well for the firm and for yourself. Um, looking to the next few years, what do, you, what do you see as the positioning of the firm and the exciting times ahead and potentially some of the greatest challenges you might face too? Yeah, thank you. It is exciting and we're expanding our US and UK teams. That's the immediate priority is, is deepening the bench there. Obviously the people side of things and, and bringing in, you know, truly tech focused lawyers who have deep experience in, in technology is going to be the thing that propels us forward. A lot of the lawyers that we hire, almost all of the lawyers have had in-house experience and I think Going through that experience really shapes the view of a lawyer and can be really game changing in terms of the way that lawyers in, who've been through that situation approach legal problems. That's sort of what we look for in terms of when we're assessing talent, people who bring that, you know, very hands on approach to legal problem solving will be growing internationally. But I think, you know, given the uncertainty in the environment, we'll probably be doing that less rapidly than we I probably would have said to you 12 months ago. We're still having conversations with different people in the markets that I mentioned earlier, Singapore, Ireland, and the EU, 
and Israel is obviously another market that has an amazing tech scene. So we'll be looking selectively and opportunistically at those markets. And so positioning ourselves to be a truly global firm with, with experts in, in each of those markets. Anthony, it's been great to get your insights on what the firm's doing. Really appreciate your time. But were there any other final messages you wanted to get across about the firm or indeed any other messages to law firm leaders? I guess the part, the thing that we haven't talked about is, is coping with, you know, stress and, and making sure that one's mental health is as good as it can be. I guess for, for me, you know, this is something that we started, my wife and I started during COVID actually, but, you know, we've got a trainer to start training us outdoors and um, we've kept that up three days a week and that keeps me sane probably not enough in terms of or as, as much as should be doing but like that doing that is and keeping that perspective on health and well-being is obviously important what is the training the other thing doing, anthony it's like cardio in the park basically right, yes body weight training in the park lots of burpees and lots of squats and all fun and games stuff like that right yes and i think the other message it's very easy to get caught up into the day-to-day of the industry that you or i work in or a specific lawyer works in but you know being mindful of the the broader context in which lawyers sit in terms of their role in the broader public discourse about things like human rights and you know, things like the voice, I think that there's a real role to play for lawyers in terms of advancing, you know, social justice and human rights issues separately to just the day-to-day of a specific deal or case or matter. So I think being mindful of that and not being afraid to stand up for those issues when they arise, even if it's not directly in your wheelhouse or day-to-day area, but obviously someone needs to do it. And Lawyers are generally people who are very well equipped to do that. It's a very good point and a nice way to to round it out and also to remind those lawyers they've got to do more burpees every day by the sound of it. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Anthony, and uh, all the best in the coming years. Thanks for listening to the Australasian Law Management Journal Q&A podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. For more law management insights, please visit lmhub.com.au.